0: Hi, I'm Dave Larrabee from CFA Institute, and I'm joined by Joe Clement, Head of Investment Research at Fedante Capital. Uh, Joe's a CFA charter holder as well as a trustee of the CFA Institute Research Foundation. Joe, welcome, and thanks for joining us here in Hong Kong for CFA Institute's 71st annual conference.
1: Thank you, David, and glad to be here.
0: Um, Joe, behavioral fan- finance has been an area of focus. Um, for you um, for many years and you've spoken about the the value of experience uh, in the investment business and yet you've also noted that too many professionals have short or flawed memories and that often negates any advantage experience might offer them so what are they doing wrong and how might they better capitalize on their experience
1: well in a sense they're not doing anything wrong they're just being human uh, we tend to forget things and uh... Uh, the, the trick to not forgetting things is obviously trying to uh, engage in techniques that help you remember things and that document things. So, mm-hmm. one of the key uh, tools, investment tools, that I use and that I recommend every investor to use are investment diaries, mm-hmm. uh, where you basically write down your past investment decisions, why you uh, made that decision, and what could possibly go wrong. Uh, and then engage in regular reviews of this uh, of these investment decisions. Mm-hmm. That will help you not only remember past uh, decisions, but also learn from past mistakes and get better over time.
0: Mm-hmm. So what are some of the other uh, more costly behavioral pitfalls that investors are prone to and, and how might they avoid
1: them? Well, I'm pretty confident that the most costly one is overconfidence in a sense. Um, mm-hmm. We all, especially if you're a professional investor, tend to be overconfident in our ability to help our clients or manage our, our portfolios. And uh, that is naturally going to lead to overtrading, uh, too much investment, um, too much of a turnover in your portfolio, for example, mm-hmm. and that eventually will drag performance because the costs are certain. The outperformance that you might get by investing in a new stock or into a new uh, fund they're not that certain.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, you've cited career risk as one of the most prevalent risks um, that portfolio managers face. And yes. um, you've also noted that even the most skilled managers among us um, face this risk just because of short-term fluctuations in, uh, in performance. Uh, so what are the consequences of career risk um, in terms of asset manager behavior mm. and in the case of asset owners portfolio performance
1: yes uh, this is uh, kind of the second most costly uh, behavioral bias I would say is, is loss aversion mm. um, we do fear obviously losses more than we value gains we know that from uh, behavioral finance research and uh, what happens is if you look at your performance if you if you uh, check your performance too often you start to see more and more of the daily, weekly, monthly noise that is happening in your portfolio. Mm -hmm. And now if you put yourself into the uh, relationship between asset owners and asset managers, uh, if your asset owner is a pension fund or an insurance company or an endowment and Mm -hmm. they check your performance every three months, they inevitably, no matter how good you are as a portfolio manager, they will inevitably see quarters where you underperform your benchmark or your peers or whatever it is. that's okay if it happens once it might still be okay if it happens two quarters in a row after three quarters in a row people get nervous Mm -hmm. and then if you if it happens too often well what will happen is there will be pressure on you to either improve your performance or you will be fired in exchange for another manager and the problem is if you are a you can be a great fund manager, you can be the next Warren Buffett. You will mm-hmm. inevitably have three, four quarters where you underperform in a row. Uh, that is just the nature of investment, uh, of sure. the investment business. So what happens is, as a reaction, you a lot of investment managers then tend to reduce the tracking error, they become more passive. Worst case scenario, you, you turn your active fund into a closet indexing fund and you, you're starting to charge active fees. for essentially passive performance mm-hmm. and that really is is not what you want to because as an investment manager you don't want to be in that position uh, and as an asset owner obviously you don't want to pay higher fees for for little activity
0: mm-hmm. so is there a mutually beneficial solution in there for that works for asset managers and asset owners
1: I think so um, i mean there's there, there there needs to be a lot of Uh, education and training on both sides, on the asset manager and the asset owner side. Um, But one of the key things that I think uh, both sides should agree on is to check that performance less often. I think once a year, if you're a long-term investor like a pension fund or an insurance company, checking the performance once a year is sufficient. Uh, It gives the asset manager the freedom he or she needs. Uh, to actually act on their beliefs and on their analysis, uh, while at the same time it still has enough control that if something goes really wrong after one, two, three years, you can still kind of pull on the brakes and and say, okay, what can we do differently? Mm
0: Let's talk about uh, risk. Um, it's been shown that investors' attitudes towards risk um, or their risk tolerance remains relatively stable throughout yes. their, their lifetimes. Yes. Um, and in a recently published paper, um, you observed that their perceptions of risk um, are subject to change and depending on market conditions and other circumstances. Um, and of course, this can negatively impact their decision-making. Um, so, how can advisors manage their clients' perceptions of risk?
1: Yeah, this is uh, this work is based on the work mostly of Elke uh, Weber, who's a professor at Princeton. My co-author in that paper, mm-hmm. uh, and she showed that. Risk aversion stays constant, but our perception of how risky stocks are or how risky property investments are, that changes as markets fluctuate. So in a bear market, risk uh, uh, equities appear more risky than they really are, while in a bull market it's the reverse. Mm-hmm. And there are four techniques how you can work with your clients to help your clients navigate these kind of emotional responses to how they perceive risks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the first one uh, clearly is education. Uh, Educate them about how risky equities are, how risky property is, uh, and how, even in good times, educate them how their perception of equities will change in bad times. Uh, The second one is uh, just very simple hand-holding. Be on their side, uh, help them understand what is going on in the market, Mm -hmm. take their emotions, their emotional reactions to... Uh, market fluctuations seriously. Uh, the third one uh, are nudges. Mm-hmm. Uh, present information not in a misleading way, not at all, that's not what we advocate obviously, uh, mm-hmm. but in such a way that it puts the information, the performance, into a longer-term context. By widening the lens, uh, you help your, your clients, especially private clients who have a longer-term horizon but often act short-term uh, in nature, uh, you help them widen their perspective and focus again what is on, on what is important, namely their long-term goals for retirement, etc. Mm-hmm. And then the fourth and last one is just be transparent. Talk to your clients. Be constantly engaging with them. And I would say the best preparation you can have as an asset manager or as a wealth advisor uh, for the bad times is communicate them into them in the good times that these good times won't last forever. What goes up, there will become a, uh, there will be a bear market at some point.
0: Mm-hmm. Good advice. Um, the use of estimated or forward earnings is fairly common practice on Wall Street. Um, however, you've questioned the predictive uh, utility of that forward PE multiple, and of course, you favor the trailing PE as a more uh, accurate measure of value. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, what is what's wrong with the the forward PE multiple?
1: Well, what's wrong with it is that it is based on analyst estimates of the next 12 months earnings growth. And as I stated in the beginning, overconfidence is something that uh, is basically affecting all of us, including all, us, all of us professional analysts. Mm-hmm. And as a result, they're not ov- only overconfident, but also overly optimistic on future earnings growth. And as a result, uh, your forward PEs might actually look artificially attractive. Uh, especially in this environment where uh, we expect for the U.S., for example, uh, 20 to 25% earnings growth over the next 12 months. Now, that might happen, uh, but it might just be overly optimistic again, and we might just end up with 20% or 15%. And so as a result, uh, your your forward earnings tend to uh, make equities look too cheap. And we've tested Mm -hmm. that or I've tested that in an uh, enterprising investor blog and showed that actually, it can actually reverse the uh, uh, outcome. uh, So that seemingly cheap stocks on a forward PE basis might actually underperform seemingly expensive stocks on a forward PE basis, which is not what you want to have when you invest in value (laughs) banks.
0: Right, right. So I think we've got time for one more question. Um, So here we are in the first half of May, uh, and there's an old adage in the stock market that goes, sell in May and go away. Um, And as a way to avoid the historically poor returns over the summer months, um, you've examined this so-called Halloween indicator and you found it to be real and persistent. Mm. Uh, So how do you explain this anomaly and is there a way for active managers to successfully exploit it even when they have a mandate to stay fully invested?
1: Um, you can tactically exploit it, let's put it this way. So you can reduce uh, your equity exposure a little bit and have a little bit more cash uh, over the summer months, or you can go more defensive in your in your stock selection if you're running a fully invested equity fund, for example. Um, what drives this effect? I think there are a lot of competitive theories and in in the end we can only speculate to to some degree, Mm -hmm. Um, but what is clear is that um, there is a lot of investment going on right around the, the turn of the year which should push prices up. Uh, And that's obviously not the case in summer. So uh, at the end of the year, there's a lot of window dressing going on by portfolio managers. So they they start to invest more into stocks that have done well. And Mm -hmm. in the beginning of the year, a lot of institutional investors have a lot of cash inflows. Pension funds get a lot of extra cash inflows. And that needs to be invested. And that obviously will typically be invested between January and say April, May, uh, of the year, and that mm-hmm. might explain some of the outperformance in winter. Right.
0: Joe, thanks very much for sharing your insights with us today. Thank you for watching. Copyright 2018, CFA Institute, All Rights Reserved. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.